Happy July, everybody. You know I hate to waste your time with a news update, but this is something I gotta tell you up front all this month to make sure everybody hears it. And that is that on the fourth anniversary of the Plus system, the start of August 2018, we are raising the cost of admission by a little bit to $8 a month. I wrote at length about the whys and the whats and the hows in the THC newsletter, which we're going to call the Higher Side Herald from now on, and I'm going to be much more consistent with it now that it's got a proper name. But read that on Facebook or Twitter if you really want to get into the details, but here's what you need to know. If you're a current Plus member, you don't have to do anything if you want to stay on board the commercial-free and action-packed two-hour ride we got going on here, but the price will be going up in August. If you've prepaid for 6 or 12 months in advance, that time is covered. You're already in. But the next time the system needs to charge you, whatever level you're at, it will charge you at that new rate. It's a change I've been torturing myself over for a while, and the Plus members who have given me some responses have all been really understanding. And I can sigh the sweet sigh of relief. But I'm sure we'll lose some people too, and I'm prepared for that. But please make sure you click on my account from the plus menu bar and cancel before August 1st if you must. The rest of you first hour only folks have a little more time to get in on the ground floor as they say, but even at $8, I think we're still an alright deal when you consider what else is out there. I hate to do it, but even Amazon Prime has raised the price on me twice in the last few years, and I think they have a lot more members than me, and I'm not asking for a key to your front door. We're still going to have five top-notch monthly treks into this weird and conspiratorial world with the best guests in the business, but I'm also going to sweeten the pot with a monthly video session of good times and open lines where I will sit by the phone for you, dear people. And we're going to call them joint sessions. Clever, right? So that's the news in THC land. I know, I know, say it ain't so. But as the guy who actually depends on this thing we got going here, nobody's more anxious and nervous about a big change than I am. So thanks for all the support and for not biting my head off too much. Now let's do the damn thing. Puppet masters almost surely have a plan There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man Until we've thoroughly tested every last close-chested view Find the more you think you know, unless you really do Where would we be without THC? We know the lying to us, just don't know to what degree Where would we be? Carwood and Company Side chatters, whether it's imperial expansion on the global chessboard, the media's fake outrage over the latest chemical weapons attack claims, the death of high-profile celebrities, or nearly any other story of importance, we know the sagas cooked up for public consumption are always missing some major ingredients. Because the oily appendages of the nefarious few are nearly everywhere, and after decades of shoveling shit into the propaganda pipeline that feeds straight into the living room boob tube, 
we must examine every angle of everything and resist the temptations to take our facts and latest arguments from the big machine itself. Well, ever since the Pizzagate dust-up, pedophilia among the master class and child trafficking networks throughout the world have bubbled up to the forefront of our collective consciousness. And of course, the darkest of dark secrets can't be the subtext for every story, but we are finding a lot of threads cut from the same cloth and many roads that do lead back to some sort of turmoil related to these entrenched powers and their highest crimes that for the longest time seemed untouchable. So today we're going to talk about a lot of things, but chief among them is an exploration of recent high-profile suicides and the argument that these were calculated killings carried out by those who wish to keep their boat from being rocked. And here to help lay out the breadcrumbs is the hellraiser of Reddit himself, Magnora7. We had him here almost exactly a year ago to break down the Rothschild family and the details behind their carving up of Africa and how several African countries really only exist to keep their oil and diamond trade secure and to keep local people properly suppressed, of course. It was one of my favorite shows of 2017, which covered Zimbabwe, Chad, Botswana, and more. And while we will get deeper into that study and what Mr. Magnora has uncovered in the latest year, he's also turned his sleuthing skills to that string of deaths involving Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade, Avicii, and the Dutch Queen's sister, and I'm super psyched to get into it. The regulatory capture professor of Reddit, the Diamond Empire deconstructor, and now the celebrity death detective, Magnora7, my good man. Welcome back to the higher side. Hey, Greg. Glad to be here, man. That was quite an intro. Nice lead in there. So let's jump right into it, man. Let's talk about these suicides. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it. That last episode was really popular. You covered some lesser known history that was super important. And now recently, I saw some of your posts questioning this latest string of suicides. And I think it really is a perfect reason to have you back. I did do a recent show with Jordan Sather where we had a segment about these deaths, but this should be way more detailed. And there are a few added elements now that we didn't have then. In the case of Anthony Bourdain, all the claims were that he was stepping out of line and being way too critical of the Clintons and Harvey Weinstein and really pushing the envelope on what you can say. Well, sure enough, 48 hours before recording this, his last interview is actually released, and it's full of exactly this type of content. So add it to the pile of curious elements that will make this worth exploring. And of course, not everything is a conspiracy, but there is definitely enough here to be skeptical of the official story, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's definitely right. You know, not every single one of these is a lock and load. This was definitely a murder type of scenario. There's definitely enough red flags that there should be investigations looking into these things. And some of these people were ruled as suicides within hours by investigators, despite all these motivated parties that might be interested in taking them out. And I'd like to discuss those red flags here. And I think we can build an interesting case, perhaps. Solid. Let's do it. So I think a lot of people know the names and what has happened, but I guess give us a bit of an overview of the several suicides we did have in a short period of time. Right. The big cluster that people remember was Kate Spade died on June 5th. Then two days later, the Dutch Queen's sister died on June 7th. And then Anthony Bourdain died on June 8th. So those are three very high profile people that all died by hanging. And they died by hanging from their doorknobs with rope made from material found in their hotel or their house. So very kind of crudely constructed nooses hung from door knobs. So that's kind of an odd situation. And then two months prior, Avicii 
a musician. He died at 28. So those four were kind of together, it seemed like. But the three within three days of each other, all dying by the same method is very questionable. Yeah, you got to wonder about that. So if we're going to dig deeper into Anthony Bourdain specifically, I will say that on the surface level, I was a big fan of his shows and podcast appearances over the years. But obviously, we've learned over time that a lot of people who become these household celebrity names are not random and are often sold to us as these rags to riches stories. This was greatly exposed in the 60s musical counterculture where there were way too many rock stars that seemed to be the kids of people in military intelligence, and that still goes on. It's a big factor with Tom DeLonge too, actually. But I mentioned the rags to riches thing because we have this with Anthony Bourdain too. We're told he was bouncing around, working in these kitchens, partying extra hard, wrote a book, it randomly went viral, and the rest is history. Well, no, that is not true at all. His father was actually an executive at Columbia Records, and his mom was an editor at the New York Times. And if you didn't know, his book was actually an expansion on what was first just an article he wrote. His mother called over to the New Yorker and said, hey, print this. They printed it, put him on the cover, and then he wrote a New York Times bestseller when his mom is an editor of the New York Times. So let it be known that he's pretty connected from the start. Yeah, he seems like a guy who was in the right place at the right time. And he definitely has interesting things to say. I was starting to become a fan, too. I'd just actually gotten introduced to him about a month before his suicide happened. Hmm. So it was on Setit. That's a Reddit replacement we're building, Setit.net. Someone built an Anthony Bourdain sub, and they started posting all these Anthony Bourdain videos. And so I kind of got hooked into it. I started watching No Reservations, his show, you know. I started to get really into it. He's a real interesting guy with a lot of things to say. but. It's not surprising to me that it's always someone with connections that's able to rise through the media ranks. Because honestly, it doesn't really take that special of a person to be a celebrity. It just takes someone who's a little more charismatic than normal, but then also given this platform and elevated. That's where a lot of the celebrity comes from. It's just the availability of the platform. You know, it's like Anderson Cooper is this really high ranked reporter and he worked for the CIA. And like you said, there's just so many like Frank Zappa, even who I love. His dad worked for the CIA, and that's partly why he knew all the things that he knew, even though he was just a musician. There's a lot of interesting connections like that. So, yeah, Anthony Bourdain had the number one show on the number four network, which is CNN. So it was like CNN's flagship show. The whole CNN network kind of was depending on Bourdain and his show to bring in viewers. This guy had a lot of reach. So if he wanted to say something controversial, you could guarantee there'd be Tens of millions of people, if not more, listening all around the world. Mm -hmm. So this guy had huge reach. So on this particular episode, they were shooting for no reservations. They were in Paris, and he was traveling with his film crew and also his best friend. They were staying at a hotel in Paris. I mean, this is Anthony Bourdain. This is a guy who knows his way around depression, knows his way around suicide. You know, this guy, if you read his book or listened to him talk about his life, He's been in some really bad spots in his life, and he has learned how to work his way out of it. You know, he's been addicted to heroin, he said. He's he's been addicted to, sounds like pretty much every drug under the sun at some point. And then he said he's gone through all these bouts of depression. But now he said he's turned a leaf in the last, you know, 10 years or so because he has an 11-year-old daughter. And he says that he's discovered a joy of living that he didn't know before. And it wasn't kind of a manic joy. It was just a deep satisfaction with life. 
In another interview, he also said if he was going to kill himself, he'd OD on heroin. That's what he said is the feeling of heroin, he says, is so euphoric that it was super hard to wean himself off of it. But if he was going to die, that would be how he would do it. So Mm -hmm. if he wanted to kill himself, if it was an emotional, impulsive thing, then maybe it would make more sense. But I guess let's dig into this a little more about reasons why people might not like him. So he was dating this girl, Asia Argento, and she was one of the first people to accuse Harvey Weinstein of rape. So that's a pretty big deal. One of the very first accusers. And now it's all this Me Too stuff. And it's been this explosive, explosive topic in the media. Right. So it's very possible his death could be a cover up to talk about the Weinstein's Me Too because he was extremely vocal about the Me Too subject as well as being vocal against Weinstein. Also, right before Bourdain died, his girl Asia, she was at the Cannes Film Festival and she gave this speech where she said, Harvey Weinstein assaulted me right here in this room and there are others among you in the crowd that know you're guilty also and we're going to get to you and we're going to expose you as well. And so this isn't just about a guy who's already being dragged through the media. This is about a culture in Hollywood that... There are more people involved, and when you raise awareness that you're going to start going after more people, well, now there's potential that they're going to come after you as well. So it is an interesting detail that she gave that speech. You can look it up on YouTube, and it's pretty aggressive. I mean, think back 10 years ago, you would not expect to hear something like this, and then sure enough, the love of her life is dead. I mean, you got to at least consider these threads as well. Yeah. And I mean, you want to hear aggressive, just wait till we talk about the Bourdain interview that just came out. I mean, he does not hold back. Yes. We'll get to that in a second here. There's a lot of talk. He's a CIA asset, given his rise to CNN and basically at the top of CNN, which is the number four network. And if anybody's studying Project Mockingbird or anything like that, the CIA has a very well-defined mission to try and control the messaging of the media. And they have all these strong connections with all these media companies. That's a fairly well-documented thing. So it would not be surprising at all to see that Bourdain was a CIA asset on some degree. Yeah, not at all. And especially the New York Times and CNN specifically are like the top two candidates when you're talking about CIA infiltrated networks. What's interesting, too, is since, you know, this might be tied to sex trafficking, is that right as Bourdain was dying, there was 160 children were found and released from a pedophile ring in Atlanta, Georgia. The FBI found 160 children locked in a basement, basically, for this pedo ring. And CNN is in Atlanta, Georgia, in that same city, and they basically didn't cover this at all. That just seems extremely weird to me, because if you had 160 children found in a sex slavery ring, like in Africa, or like Boko Haram or something, it would be front page news. It would be like, oh my God, we found these children, we'd save them from sex slavery. But because it happened in Atlanta, it had this weird kind of brush under the rug approach to it, which I found extremely unsettling. But this is on the same network that Bourdain's network, CNN. And I don't know if that's completely connected, but it shows an interesting approach. And then, yeah, like we were talking about, Bourdain really hated Weinstein. He was very vocal on Twitter, hoping for Harvey Weinstein not only to be imprisoned, but to be injured. I mean, this guy was not splitting hairs about how much he hated Harvey Weinstein. 
especially because he's dating this Asia Argento who accused Harvey Weinstein of rape. So this whole Me Too episode became a big push for him. And this is just in the last few months as well before he died. And there's a couple other reasons people might want him gone. I mean, he did a video about the Armenian genocide where he traveled between Armenia and Azerbaijan. And the CIA does not like people talking about that. And neither does Armenia and neither does Turkey. It was a very controversial thing. So he's been pushing a lot of big buttons lately and pushing things in a lot of interesting ways. So it's no surprise there's people who wanted him gone. I think there was a perception he was becoming a loose cannon. Even if he was like a CIA asset, right? he could become such a loose cannon that they decide they need to change how they relate to him or get rid of him if they can't tell him to silence. And this is a guy that it would be very difficult to silence, I think. Someone who definitely speaks his mind. And then on top of that, he's a racially Jewish, non-religious person who was very outspoken about Palestine. He won an MPAC media award, and during his acceptance speech, he said the world has visited many terrible things on the Palestinian people, none of them more shameful than robbing them of their basic humanity. So you can imagine a lot of the Zionists and the power structure of Hollywood probably weren't too keen on these types of statements. So I don't think any one by itself was bad enough, but uh, it seems like maybe the combination of them was, or perhaps it was just solely this Clinton issue or the Weinstein issue. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, man. It's like JFK. He was ruffling so many feathers in so many segments and so many different sectors that (laughs) it's hard to isolate the cause. But you got Zionists, you got pedophile (laughs) networks, you got Hollywood oligarchs. Right. You got CNN and the CIA. Military industrial complex. I mean, you've got Mossad. You've got MI. I mean, there's all these intelligent agencies everywhere in different countries that don't like the things he's saying. I mean, yeah, he was stepping on a lot of toes, so it's hard to narrow it down exactly. Yeah. Offending any one of these groups is enough to cause someone to unexpectedly commit suicide. Yeah, and especially with how high profile he is. I mean, he can put out an episode and you know, tens of millions of people see it. It's an audience, too, that's there to learn about traveling the world. And, you know, it's not like he's writes all this hard-hitting stuff all the time. It's more kind of an incidental thing. So he's able to reach groups of people that may not pay attention to politics otherwise. So he might be able to speak to a whole different demographic than news would target, for example. So that gives him even more power in the media. So I could see why people would want him gone. So anyways, there's some interesting things that happened on the days surrounding his death. So Asia Argento was seen wearing a Sid Vicious shirt that had fuck you written on it with the middle finger as an Instagram pic. And then below it, it had written, you know who you are. So she was telling someone, fuck you. And it's not clear whether that was aimed towards Bourdain or towards people who were harassing Bourdain or the Weinstein stuff. It's not completely clear what that's for. But that was posted and later deleted. Then later, while Bourdain is in Paris shooting this episode, Asia Argento was in Italy and a paparazzi in Italy spotted her holding hands basically with this younger guy who's a model. And the two of them were walking around the town holding hands and stuff. And these pictures got posted online. So there is the possibility that Anthony saw these pictures. This is kind of the mainstream story that he saw these pictures online of Asia cheating on him. And he was so distraught that he killed himself. Hmm. So that's what I've heard the mainstream story is. But 
the pictures were taken four to five days before his death. So it's possible it took him four to five days to discover the pictures or they weren't immediately posted online or something like that. But it seems like maybe he would have had access to those pictures for a few days. And then the evening before, he skipped dinner, apparently. So he didn't show up to dinner. And then when he didn't arrive for breakfast the next day, the receptionist went to his room and found his body. So now there's a lot of people saying that Bourdain and Asia were in an open relationship. So Asia wasn't actually cheating on him, in which case he would not have been distraught. It would have been an understood thing between them that they were in an open relationship. But it seems there's some people saying that Bourdain didn't know it was an open relationship. So only Asia was under that impression, which means, you know, it's not truly open relationship that's agreed upon. So it's not clear whether they actually were in an open relationship or whether that's just a story now to protect Asia Hmm. because she clearly was kind of playing the field a little bit (laughs) while he was in Paris. So, Well, I think those open relationships are way more common than people realize, especially in those circles. I mean, Asia's dad was also like a famous director from Italy. He's kind of like Italy's Alfred Hitchcock. He used to work in uh, horror genres and sexploitation genres. I don't know. It just seems to go hand in hand with that whole crowd. You really can't be a monogamous celebrity, it seems. So, I mean, really not even surprised by those threads, but I do think it's kind of something that people are trying to glob on to this suicide to kind of justify it in some way when, you know, that's probably a cover story. Yeah, it seems that way. And there's some evidence that this open relationship narrative is coming from Rose, who is an associate of Asia and Bourdain. Hmm. And we'll talk about Rose a little more here in a second, because he mentions Rose in that interview that just came out. So what's interesting about after he died, no foul play was suspected. So despite all these motivations we just talked about, all these people he's pissed off, they immediately rule no foul play. To me, this is a guy who's got lots of people who want him silenced. That, to me, alone is enough to warrant an investigation that lasts longer than a day or two, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, interestingly, his body, no foul play suspected. The French prosecutor So there was no evidence his death was anything but a suicide. So they cremated him. Five days after he died, he was cremated in Paris, which seems rather quick. And the toxicology report revealed no narcotics in his body. He wasn't drunk. He wasn't on anything. He just died. Another angle I've heard is it's possible he died via autoerotic asphyxiation, doing that just for pleasure for himself, and it got out of control, and he lost control of it and accidentally choke himself to death, which is possible, I suppose. But this is a guy that's 61 years old who just potentially broke up with someone that he really cares deeply for. With plenty of experience in autoerotic asphyxiation. <laughs> I mean, this guy knows how to do it. He's not screwing up. Yeah, I, it, yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. And the hanging from a doorknob thing, too. I mean, that's just weird. I mean, if you're going to try and kill yourself, you would hang from a high place so that your feet don't touch the ground. Because once you start to actually asphyxiate, your body does everything in its power to stop that. It becomes like a reflex to stop yourself from choking. I mean, it's definitely possible, I suppose, but it seems like if you were to hang yourself from a doorknob, you would at some point freak out and stand up and take the noose off. I mean, it unless you had it so tight that you couldn't undo it or something, it was an accident. It just seems like a really rough way to go. I mean, 
the proper hanging, like if you're hanged by the state or something like a hundred years ago, they have the gallows and you drop like seven feet. When the noose catches the bottom, that breaks your neck and it's the breaking of your neck that kills you. And that's a proper hanging. That's how it's supposed to work. The person should be dead in like 20 seconds. But instead, what all these people did is they died by asphyxiation. They died by choking. So they basically just cut off their airway and then just didn't have oxygen until they died, which can take five to 10 minutes. So it just seems crazy to me that these very powerful people that have lots of money and connections that could kill themselves any way they wanted if they wanted to choose this incredibly slow, painful method doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I agree. It seems like code almost. Yeah, it does seem like code. And there's a CIA officer, actually, Agent Steele is ex-CIA officer. I don't know the first name, but he's... Oh, Robert David Steele, previous guest of mine, actually. Oh, really? Okay. I think that's his name. He said the circumstances of the death have a significant symbolic yet hidden meaning that intelligence agencies recognize. And he says, hung on doorknobs means choked for speaking out against the cabal. So I don't know if that's true. But that's an interesting theory. And I mean, we just talked about Bourdain, but there's like 10 or 15 of these celebrity suicides that are hanging from doorknobs. I mean, it's very specific and odd. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you wanted to murder someone and make it look like a suicide, hanging is a very good way to do that because you can strangulate someone and then just put a noose around their neck, hang it to a doorknob, and then so they hang themselves. And then any trauma around the neck, they'll just attribute to the noose, you know. Or you could even just choke them with the noose and then just when you're done, hang it on the doorknob, you know. It's not like a tough... If you were going to fake a suicide, I mean, that would be the way to do it pretty much. Mm -hmm. so that's another piece of evidence that makes all this pretty suspicious. I agree. And I guess let's get into that interview that came out after his death because I do think it's pretty telling. Right. Yeah, let's look at that. So I'm going to read a couple snippets from that. So the interview asked him, how do you feel about Clinton? And Bourdain said, look, after my ill-advised hemlock comment to TMZ, which is referencing, they asked him, what would you serve Donald Trump if you could serve him any meal? And he said, I'd serve him hemlock, which is poison. And it was just kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. But he said, look, after my ill-advised hemlock comment to TMZ, I found myself you know, with hundreds, if not thousands of death threats and MAGA trolls and Russian trolls and anonymous posts and letters to me, my ex-wife and to everyone in my life. And I ended up being interviewed by the secret police who were very nice. Hmm. So he made that hemlock comment, <laughs> secret police show up, he gets death threats. And that's for him criticizing Trump. That's not even the whole Weinstein thing. That's like a whole separate that's the opposite side of the political spectrum. So he's getting blasted from both sides, right. which is tough to endure. So he said then, I was really disappointed with the statement that Clinton made. But even expressing that, the way my comment was turned very neatly, suddenly I wasn't expressing disappointment in Clinton's statement. I was blaming her for Harvey Weinstein's crimes. The way that turned very nicely was a good bit of artistry and deeply frightening to me. And really, really, and the interview says, it's dangerous to be as famous as you are. Really dangerous. Bourdain says, you know, suddenly we're talking about something else and it wasn't good for me. Hmm. That is telling. To me, that's like I was criticizing Weinstein, but that got turned into a criticizing Clinton because she didn't come out strongly enough against the Weinstein stuff. So now people are coming after me because they're saying I'm not being nice to Clinton, basically. 
And he says that wasn't good for him, which is extremely vague and odd. So the interviewer says, there's an opportunity in twisting what you say for people who have an agenda. Bourdain says, I learned a lesson. Interviewer says, you're a source of value. You're a valuable target, a signature of attention. It's not normal. Bourdain says, I got slapped down hard and it was a chastening experience. <laughs> so he, you know, he's run into some things that after speaking out, he's on their radar. And do you know much more about this interview or interviewer themselves? Because from what I understand, he granted this interview to someone that was starting a new media company. So these are already pretty probing and sensitive questions to be asking. Yeah. And it was going to launch on this new platform. Do you know much about how he would be connected to this interviewer or what's going on with this new platform? That's a good question. I don't know the connection, but I did check out their website and it's uh, I think it's an Italian person who does these interviews and yeah, they've set up their own website and they've got their own little media company and they were the ones to get this interview apparently. But yeah, I don't know how they secured the interview. That's a good question. Hmm. It would be interesting to know. Well, right on. I mean, yeah, something to check out. Obviously, there's some connection. This person has to have some type of reach to get a celebrity at Bourdain's level and someone who would even be willing to go into these kind of things. I mean, obviously, most interviews at this level are prearranged. You know what kind of questions are coming. You've chosen to talk about this stuff instead of food or travel. Right. Kind of curious, but sure, go on. There are definitely a few more things to note about this interview. Yeah, so in a later part of the interview, he talks about hidden forces. So the interviewer asked him about hidden forces. And Bourdain says, there are forces out there who are really fucking powerful and scary. I had dinner with Rose McGowan. That's his friend Rose you mentioned earlier. And Rose is telling me, you know, these people are spying on me. These people are saying they're my friends. And they're not my friends, in fact. They're paid intelligence operatives. And I remember thinking, look, I support you all the way. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm not so sure about this. And then a minute later, this nightmarish thing happens. Interviewer says, it's true. You know, I just covered the Gawker trial in St. Petersburg. We had no clue that Peter Thiel was paying for that shit. We were a million journalists there. All this Hulk Hogan nonsense. We did not know what we were looking at. I assume that's talking about someone got special media privileges by paying for it. And the rest of the media was basically locked out while not realizing it. And then Bourdain says, I've come to understand traveling the world. I see good people crushed randomly under the wheel or by bad things all the time. As I see it happen to friends, not to be too paranoid, but I think they're doing a very effective job on Rose. I don't know when the truth is enough anymore. Mm. So he's saying, I think they're doing a very effective job on Rose. Talking about the intelligence agencies and these media PR companies managing Rose and trying to gather intelligence and manipulate her. I mean, that is creepy. It is. Then later, Bourdain says, again, it goes back to that 60s thing. I just want to fucking survive. I don't need to be number one. I don't need to beat the fuck out of anybody. I don't need to be ahead. I just want to still be here at the end of the fucking day doing what I'm doing without anybody hassling me. So, I mean, Bourdain is a guy, he says some provocative things, but he's not out to fight a war. He's just there to say the truth and didn't want hassle for it, but obviously got a lot of hassle for it. And then later, there's a tweet from Bourdain on his Twitter that says, there's a nauseating symmetry. Both Trump and Weinstein used AMI, parentheses, inquirer, and Black Cube is an Israeli private intel to do their dirty work. 
So have you heard about black cube before? <laughs> I've heard of black cube symbolism in terms of the brotherhood of Saturn and the cross actually being a folded out cube and that this is the secret that all the Jews are worshiping the black cube or something. And then the black cube in Mecca also that all the Muslims circle around when they go on their pilgrimage. Right, right. So there's this company now, this Israeli PR firm called Black Cube, and they market themselves as a group of ex-members of Israeli intelligence units helping specialize in business and litigation challenges to help stop the publication of abusive allegations against certain actors hmm. and media people. So they're ex-Mossad, basically, who probably still have very strong Mossad connections, who shut down media stories they don't want. So people come to them, say, like Barbara Streisand effect, <laughs> I want this shut down. They go through the internet, they go through TV media, and they work to make sure the story doesn't get out. So Weinstein was using Black Cube to try and manage this whole Weinstein scandal. And then I start digging a little into the Black Cube company, and it is quite a company. So one account in The New Yorker describes two private investigators from Black Cube using false identities meeting with the actress Rose McGowan to extract information from her. Black Cube was also caught collaborating with Mossad, like we said, a lot of them are ex-Mossad, which is the Israeli equivalent to the CIA. They were caught spying on the Obama administration. So this is a non-governmental agency that's supposedly doing PR for celebrities that is actually spying on the Obama administration. And they were also not even spying, but they were sending out fake emails to people in the U.S. government to try and, and in the Iranian government to try and undermine the Iranian nuclear deal because they do not want the Iranian nuclear deal to go through because that would mean peace and peace is bad for Israel's territory conquest basically because they have the military upper hand. Mm -hmm. These peace treaties keep falling through and apparently that's no accident. So companies like Black Cube are working to do the bidding of the highest bidder basically. <laughs> And then also the documents show that Black Cube compiled detailed background profiles of many people, including their addresses, who their family members are, the makes and model their cars. I mean, they build a catalog on their targets. And then once they do that, they're instructed to find damaging information about these people, including unsubstantiated claims that seem like they might be true. For instance, Rhodes and Call are two people working on their running nuclear deal. And they put out false information that those people worked with Iranian lobbyists in secret. So they're trying to make it look like the Iranian nuclear deal was a collusion thing when perhaps it wasn't. Mm. They're trying to spin things to make it look worse than they are, so it fails. This is Black Cube. So this is the company that Weinstein hired to silence people like Anthony Bourdain. Mm. I can't say, like, Black Cube killed Anthony Bourdain. I think that's way too strong of a statement. But... I would not be surprised if Black Cube hired the company that hired the company that killed Bourdain mm -hmm. or something along those lines. Or it could be completely unrelated to Black Cube and it could be a separate thing with different people he pissed off. Because like we said, he pissed off so many people that it's hard to narrow it down like who exactly would be the most motivated. Right. And uh, another thing I was going to say is if any of the listeners listen to the Joe Rogan podcast, of course, he talks about Anthony Bourdain a lot. They seem to be friendly. I don't know how close they are. But someone on Rogan's podcast brought up the conspiracies around Bourdain's death. And he was like, no, 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 he shut that down right away. And then they pull up some of Bourdain's tweets. And he has one where he says something to the effect 
that he was recently on the receiving end of Clinton's operatives and it was not fun. Yeah. And Rogan read that on the air and then just kind of stopped and was like, huh, that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> um, I, I don't I don't know what to make of that. But these claims are still ridiculous. And sure, you can't leap from that to assassination. There are other questions I would have as a person playing devil's advocate, like, why is Rose McGowan still alive? Like, why are certain people who are more influential in this Weinstein investigation still kicking and he isn't? And we don't have those answers. But in terms of building a case for something fishy going on, I mean, I think a lot of these threads that you've pointed out are worth considering. I mean, we're not professional investigators. Why are professional investigators not open to these threads? I think they are definitely worth putting on the pile. Yeah, there's just so many weird things that in the amount of time they decided that there was nothing worth investigating. I mean, it was bizarre to me, honestly. Agreed. So let's switch gears and talk about Kate Spade. I honestly thought it was a little silly when people started saying there was a conspiracy here. But then I thought about the clothing industry. Most of the products are made in third world countries. She has a worldwide distribution network. These things are worth considering. Yeah. But I also found some curious things about her beginnings, not so much with her family, but when she launched her first products, the symbols on them were owls and devil tails, which is curious. But also, after only being in business for three years, Neiman Marcus bought 53% of the company for $33 million. Well, was it really worth $33 million, or is this a signal that she was in the club or that some prominent Freemason was throwing a bone to someone lower on the ladder? Mm. I don't know. But, you know, tie this, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours element in, and maybe there were some things going on below the surface of the company. I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. That's an interesting piece of the puzzle. <laughs> Kate Spade died three days prior to Bourdain, so, I mean, it's a pretty tight cluster. and. I'd never really heard of her before she died, to be honest. But she was married to David Spade's brother, you know, David Spade on SNL and Just Shoot Me and all that. So his brother was Kate Spade's husband. And that's where she got the last name Spade. So she knows David Spade. There's just a lot of things odd around her death. Like she died by hanging from a doorknob as well, but with a red scarf, which is not really strong material usually. It's also rare that women kill themselves by hanging, much less rich women. Pharmaceuticals are much more common for women attempting suicide. And I've read a statistic, only 23% of successful female suicides are by hanging. So it's like a one in four. And for males, it's about 25% as well. Hmm. So it's a somewhat common method, but it's like one in four, but not super common. That's across the whole population. You know, if I was a millionaire... I probably would pick a better way. <laughs> then there was the oddness of two days after she was killed, the husband, this is something the conspiracy theory forums really like to focus on, but the husband exited their house in a plastic mouse mask from the movie Rescuers. And I don't know if he was just trying to cover up his face because, you know, he was emotionally distraught and just didn't want pictures taken, but this mask he was wearing, it had a red neck cloth, like a red scarf. I guess it's a turtleneck on the character. It's just kind of strange. And it's from this Disney movie, The Rescuers, which is in 1977 or something. 
And they just had, had that mask mouse sitting around, I guess, and wore it out of the house the first time he went out of the house. Yeah, it's very creepy. I mean, people who haven't seen the mask, just look up the picture of him wearing it. I mean, this is a odd thing to do when your wife was just killed. Yeah, it just seemed very strange. This is just kind of a bizarre, probably coincidence, but four months before she died, her latest fashion venture advertising campaign was, where is Kate? And the whole thing is like, Kate Spade is missing. And they're like trying to find her. And her husband is like the detective in the ad trying to find her. And she's missing and gone. And that was the ad campaign they were running four months before she died, which is kind of odd. Then another odd thing is her father died on the eve of her funeral. So what? Yeah, he was 89 years old, but her father died the day before they were going to bury her. But I could imagine that being like a heartbreak thing. And the guy was old and. It must be tough, but it's kind of odd. Yeah, it also could be silencing someone who you think might be prone to speak out irrationally with nothing to lose very publicly at a funeral, perhaps. Yep, that could very well be. She did, however, leave behind a note, unlike Bourdain. Bourdain didn't leave a note, but Kate Spade did leave a note. And the only part I saw was to her daughter. She was just saying, you know, this is not your fault. This had nothing to do with you. So don't worry about it. So there was a note on like Bourdain, so it, it seemed to have a little bit more planning or at least the appearance of it. Yeah, it said, this is not your fault, ask daddy. Oh, really? Yeah, which, you know, a lot of people have tried to say that's some kind of pedo code. I think it very literally is, this is not your fault, ask your father. He'll tell you, he'll confirm that it's not your fault. Yeah. But, you know, ask daddy also kind of makes it seem like, hey, there's more to know. And if you ask your dad, you might eventually find out. Right. That could very well be. And then the investigation was a little odd. NYPD was the sole investigator. And it was announced it was a suicide before they even interviewed the husband. So they hadn't even interviewed the husband at all. And they decided it was a suicide, basically. I guess the note and the scarf by the doorknob was convincing enough for the NYPD. Or the NYPD got paid to look the other way. That's also a possibility. But then you're starting to introduce more co-conspirators, and that's much harder to control. So it's probably much more likely that they just made it look like a very convincing suicide if it was a murder. Mm -hmm. Also interesting is Spade had partnered with the Clinton Foundation on at least two major projects. So Kate Spade had helped design a media campaign for the Clinton Foundation's No Ceiling Initiative. She also worked with the Clintons in Haiti sending a representative to deal with Haitian business owners on the Clintons' behalf. Ah. So she was a front for the Clintons in Haiti, which is a very interesting thing. There's been human trafficking issues through Haiti, and the Clintons have been caught associating with these types of things. Mm -hmm. There might be a lot there to dig into. I mean, there's just so much here. I wish I could dig completely to bedrock on all of these, but... I hope someone listening, you know, maybe will take a little more initiative and look into <laughs> this one part of it, because I really think there's a lot there. Right. And clearly we are speculating. We're just going through the case to be made that there's more here than the surface story. And it really does get under my skin when I hear people dismissing the conspiratorial perspective and they say, oh, yeah, so uh, these people think that Hillary Clinton was running a pedophile network out of a ping pong shop. Or these people think that Hillary Clinton killed Kate Spade. And it's like, 
No, you're being a little disingenuous there. We're talking about a network. And the only reason Clinton is so involved is because it's her name on the foundation. Right. You know, her and Bill, obviously, right. they're, a, they're a duo. They're a team. And it's like there's a lot of players involved that we don't know. Right. So it all leads back to the Clintons. But that doesn't mean that we think that they physically committed some murder. Or even that they ordered it themselves. It could have been like a subordinate who ordered the hit, you know? Right. It could be like, she's like, oh, I don't like these people. And the subordinate's like, well, I'm going to take care of that. And then hires a hitman or something. You know, we have no idea, like, the organizational structure of how something like this would come to be. Mm -hmm. And then also, I'm totally not discounting the idea that these actually just were suicides. That's totally possible as well. Mm -hmm. But I really think there's not enough discussion about the potential that they're murderers. <laughs> I agree. That's what we're doing. Right. Exactly. And I do think that last point just about partnering with the Clinton Foundation, that's important. Partnering with the Clinton Foundation in Haiti specifically, that's very important. Definitely worth noting. And those are kind of the capstone arguments to the Kate Spade element. And let's maybe fold in the Dutch Queen's sister, I really haven't dug much into this one. I'm curious what you found in the details here that make you skeptical that there might be a deeper story. So first of all, the timing is weird. The Dutch Queen is named Maxima, and it's Maxima's sister that died. So she died on June 7th, and Kate Spade died on the 5th, and Anthony Bourdain died on the 8th. So it's right in between those two. So it's a very tight three-day span. That alone is interesting. And then she was also found dead by hanging from a doorknob, which seems to connect with these other ones. You know, it's hard to tell what the motivation is. It could have been suicide as well. She was a civil servant working for the Argentinian government since 2016. So she lived in Argentina, even though she was related to the Dutch royal family. So she's been living in Argentina for a while. And she worked at the United Nations headquarters in Panama for a while, but returned to Argentina. Then her death, this is another interesting tidbit. Her father died 10 months before she died. And her father was the ruling king, I believe. So the king died and then she died soon after. So it kind of looks like a lot of royal coups, you know, you'll see once the leader dies, the next people in line might be taken out so someone can jump a few spots and become king. You know, that's a common type of coup. So hmm. it's possible something like that could have happened. And then get this, her father was in the Videla government and for the Netherlands, but her brother-in-law, who's now the Dutch king, is the grandson of the Bilderberg Group founder, Prince Bernard, huh. who was an extremely well-connected person. So the current Dutch king is the grandson of the founder of Bilderberg. <laughs> That's her brother-in-law. You can see there's obviously like a lot of very high up connections and they're probably connected with the Rothschilds as well, being that they're European royalty. So there's all these very high connections. So there's a lot of highly motivated people and there's a lot of power at stake. So it does seem reasonable to at least investigate the possibility that this was a murder. Mm -hmm. We also saw that shuffling of the Saudi royal family, too, which right. is strange. I mean, there are a lot of pieces on the chessboard that are moving right now. And it seems like for most of our life, if you're in your 30s, it's been kind of one note. I mean, there's been these controllers will switch from Bush to Clinton to Bush. Nothing's changing. And there does seem to be a lot of shuffling now that 
wasn't going on through most of my life. I agree. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of royal families starting to move around now and a lot of people who are in their 80s and 90s starting to finally pass. The chain of command is changing in a lot of countries. And yeah, it's an interesting thing to watch, but it is causing a lot of shakeups. Indeed. So Avicii is another one we might want to add to the pile. It's another, well, he's a guy I didn't really look much into, not really a fan of that kind of music, but still, you laid out some very interesting details to me that make a pretty good case. There's a deeper story. Tell us about Avicii. So those three deaths we just talked about were in June. And if we jump back like a month and a half to April 20th, that's the day Avicii died. 420? Yeah, 420. And he was 28 years old. So he's quite young. What was interesting is he died in the country of Oman, which is in the Middle East. So apparently he was like on tour, on vacation or something in Oman, which is just south of Saudi Arabia. It's right by Yemen and Saudi Arabia. But it's actually quite a developed, nice country because of the oil reserves. But anyways, he was staying in Oman and they found him in his hotel room the next day. There was like half a bottle of wine drank and then the wine bottle was shattered. And then the pieces of the wine bottle had apparently been used to cut his face and neck. So the story is that he drank half a bottle of wine, shattered it, and then cut his own face and neck with the glass shards until he bled to death. That's the official story, Hmm. which is just bizarre. Who would do that unless they were out of their mind? I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. So there were two autopsies the day after he died and immediately ruled no foul play. The story also changed. He was in a hotel room originally, and then later they said he was in a farmhouse. So they're kind of having consistency problems with the story as it came out. And as far as the reasoning why people might want to do this, I don't know if you've ever watched an Avicii music video, but you should watch this one. He has, it came out two years before he died. It's called uh, For a Better Day. I mean, in no uncertain terms, it's a video about sex trafficking of children and those children escaping and growing up and going back and killing everyone who bought them as a sex slave. Huh. I mean, it is extremely graphic. It is like about fucking up these people who ruin these children's lives. It's a very emotional, straightforward video. And there's some allegations that he was perhaps, unfortunately, part of this type of structure, you know, when he was younger. And so he's stepping forward to call it out and shed some light on it, basically. And this video is one way of him doing that. Some say that's the reason he was silenced is because he started getting too outspoken about this particular topic. Hmm. One other thing I wanted to throw out there just about his career, you know, I'm not the most knowledgeable about the guy, but apparently a year prior in March, on March 29th specifically, he announced his retirement, even though he wasn't even 30 years old. And his people's statement said, stardom is psychologically and physically difficult for any artist, especially in the fast-paced and often hedonistic world of dance music, and his retirement is the result of complete overwork. And that's interesting. I mean, a year before he was killed, or a year before he committed suicide, he retired. And I've read a lot of kind of mainstream arguments about his death and that he had severe drug and alcohol abuse problems, and that could have led to his death. I've heard that about the alcoholism for sure. He definitely had an alcohol problem. And that's worth noting, but it's also worth noting that here's another death of a person who, as you say in this video, for a better day, is 
drawing attention to child trafficking networks. I mean, how many people are really doing that? Not a whole lot. Right. And I mean, this video for a better day, it got 65 million views. This guy has reach, global reach among young people, too. And I think they saw that and were intimidated by that. It's just a very sad thing. Hmm. One thing I'd like to say is that with talking about these suicides, some people will say to me that I'm being disrespectful to these people by talking about the circumstances surrounding their suicide or questioning the fact that it was a suicide. And I really see it as the opposite. I think I'm really being respectful by looking into these things. I know if I was murdered and it was framed as a suicide, I would sure as heck want people to look into it and not just go like, oh, he was depressed. We can't understand depression and suicide. Therefore, let's not even try. You know, let's not look into this at all. I think that's the emotional reaction that they rely on for people to not look into these things is like you're somehow honoring the dead by ignoring (sighs) the reality. And I think that's bullcrap. Yeah. They'll tell you the same thing about Sandy Hook or 9-11, that it's disrespectful to the dead to even suggest there could be foul play. It just doesn't make sense. I don't think that argument connects at all. Right. And I mean, it's one thing if you're like harassing family members of someone who died or whatever, that's not cool. If we're just talking about the facts and like trying to have a reasonable conversation about possibilities, then I see no problem. And I don't think that should be discouraged at all. I agree. Cheers to that. Yeah. It's interesting to see how many people want to shut down discussions for emotional reasons, though. Right. And there was another name on the list that you told me we should maybe talk about, Alren Scott. Yeah, so there's this person, Alren Scott, former girlfriend of Nate Rothschild, was found at the age of 49, dead in her apartment by hanging. She died in 2014, no note. So this is someone, you know, dated Nate Rothschild eventually came up dead in Manhattan at 49 years old by hanging. So I don't know much more than that about her, but... (laughs) Just another hanging of the upper class worth mentioning. And directly connected to the Rothschilds on top of it. So that's interesting. There's a couple more here. Have you heard about Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington? Yes. Yeah, I didn't really know much about that until I was doing research for this podcast. But man... Chris Cornell is the founder and a guitarist for the band Soundgarden. He was found unconscious by his bodyguard hanging from the doorknob in the bathroom of his hotel room at the MGM Grand in Detroit in uh, May 2017. So the police ruled out homicide by reviewing a hotel surveillance video which showed no one entering or leaving after his bodyguard left at 11.35 p.m. And Chris and his wife set up a charity event called the Chris and Vicky Cornell Foundation, which works to help victims of child abuse. That's what it's about. And on top of that, Chris Cornell was working with Linkin Park singer Chester Bennington, and they were working together to expose elite pedophile rings. Like they had a dedicated mission to do that exactly. So Chris Cornell died May 2017. And then two months later, Linkin Park singer that he was cooperating with Chester Bennington also found dead in his home in California. So also hanging from a doorknob on July 20th, 2017. So that's just really fucked up. So it's like the two of them finally pair up to go after this thing. And they have this charitable foundation with his wife. And then he dies. And then immediately, two months later, the other guy dies. That sets off so many alarm bells to me. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of people might not like this, but Robin Williams also 
died in his home 2014. The county sheriff's office deputy coroner was the investigator and stated that he'd hanged himself. And he was found hanging from a doorknob with a necktie. And I knew he died from hanging, but I didn't realize it was from a doorknob. So we could maybe add Robin Williams to because his death was extremely sudden and unexpected. And even if he had Louis body dementia or something like that, it was said he had a degenerative neuro disease and he was basically nipping it in the bud by killing himself early. But, you know, it's like, it's just so sudden. And he seems like a guy who's like fairly open and outspoken about stuff. And, you know, I could see him going like a Michael J. Fox kind of route where it's like he could be a popularizer of that disease. And it's definitely possible that he killed himself. But I think it's interesting that he was hanged from a necktie from a doorknob, which matches all these others. So, Mm -hmm. and then there's a couple more fashion designer, Alexander McQueen. He died 2010, found hanging from a doorknob at his home in Green Street, London. So that's another high profile fashion designer and just like Kate Spade. Another one is David Carradine. You'd probably recognize his face if you saw him. Uh, He's in a lot of TV shows and movies, but police official in Thailand found Carradine hanging by a rope tied to the doorknob of his room's closet, but he was found naked as well. So I guess that was justification to rule that it was suicide. And they did two autopsies and both concluded that the death was not a suicide. So investigators concluded it was not a suicide, but then I think the police treated it as a suicide and then it just was left hanging like that. And then lastly, Reddit co-founder Aaron Swartz was killed in 2013. Well, he supposedly committed suicide, but I think he was killed. And uh, he was hanged from a doorknob again and no suicide note was found. And he was one of the kind of the moral backbone of Reddit. And this is when Reddit was really reaching peak popularity and it was starting to get a lot of attention by big media companies and by, you know, I'm sure like the CIA and agencies who try and control media messaging. They, of course, want to control websites that are in the top 100 or whatever because those websites have a lot of reach. So I get the impression that they were able to buy out or otherwise persuade the other members that founded Reddit. But Aaron Swartz was extremely moral, had a strong backbone and refused to compromise. And I think that ended up getting him suicided, basically. Very well could be. And of course, you just listed some added deaths that go back eight years, but it's really just to note the odd similarities of the hanging from the doorknob specifically. But in these more recent cases, this latest cluster, it almost seems like you could paint a picture that when Clinton was defeated in the election, a lot of people who thought there was an ironclad grip of control over this whole situation, some of the people who maybe are a little bit more guilt-stricken or a little more outspoken or a little morally, have a little more moral fortitude, they might have thought, okay, now we can come out and speak out. Look at all these dominoes that are falling. And then as soon as you start to speak out, you realize, oh, the network hasn't completely lost all its power. In fact, it's still trying to preserve itself and silence the critics and quarantine its crimes. I think that is a case that could definitely be made. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was kind of a limited hangout sort of approach where people got caught and then they're going to pretend like the whole situation is solely about those people and that there's nothing else going on and redirect the conversation as such. And I think that's kind of what we've been seeing is the Weinstein scandal. You know, it's a lot deeper than Weinstein. 
it's not just some celebrities slept with Weinstein to get privileges. Like that's part of it, but there's this broader network. When you start to look at people like Epstein and uh, the Clintons, and there's some real questionable things. And although they might lose power on some levels, there's always stages of limited hangouts. So the closer you think you're getting to the target, suddenly the target moves away (laughs) or they'll throw out a lot of flack to confuse you or draw you off the main target. Right. And I think that's what we're seeing in the media a lot of times. Well, initially, this Me Too thing was kind of about, or at least these stories that were about crimes in Hollywood, for example, Kevin Spacey, they were about kids. Kevin Spacey's taken underage kids out to dinner and out to parties. And Brian Singer, the director, is dealing with underage kids. Right. We also had Corey Feldman speaking out. Again, it's about the kids. And sure enough, it's all switched because Weinstein, it's all female actresses that are above the legal age. It's just, that's the spin. And then they start like Louis C.K. jerked off in front of that woman and Aziz Ansari was inappropriate. And they're talking like those things are like on the same level as these pedophile rings and stuff. And it's like, no. Right. Chris Hardwick was a dick to his girlfriend once in a while. Yeah, it's like these things are bad, but like, that's not even close. I mean, it's like a completely different. It kind of got overbroad and like the scope of it got overgeneralized to a point where it's any sexual harassment now is part of the Me Too conversation or whatever. And then the real solid, important targets like the child trafficking kind of gets lost in the noise, basically, because the conversation became so diluted. Mm-hmm. It's the classic bait and switch. And uh, I also wanted to ask you this because. My last guest who talked about this, Jordan Sather, he thought that you could also fold the Trump presidency into this story. And I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on that? I think totally. I mean, there's those pictures of Clinton and Trump at the Trump wedding, and they're friends, they're old buddies. And Trump used to be a lifelong Democrat, and he's an actor. I mean, he's literally a TV actor from WWE and The Apprentice and stuff. He's just good at being an actor. And I think. The whole drama of the Clintons versus the Trumps, it might be real on some level, but I think they control both sides. I mean, I think it's like a wrestling thing. You've got the Undertaker and then you've got another wrestler and the two are fighting and it doesn't really matter which one you pick. You're still watching WWE. It's still part of the same structure. It's like Pepsi versus Coke and I'm trying to find some water. It's a lot of false dichotomies like that where we seem to have a choice, but we really don't. And it's kind of organized that way. I mean, I really wish the U.S. would move towards a multi-party system and we could maybe get out from this two-party thing. But the way it is right now, the system is so rigged. We don't have a democracy. We just have the appearance of it. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I mentioned this to you before the start of the show, but I've just been thinking about this big conflict or coup or deep state thing people are talking about. And it's like, Just because there's a power struggle over the slaughterhouse doesn't mean they don't think we're all cattle. You know, it's not like they're on our side. It's just if you've ever seen Game of Thrones, there is no good guy. There's just a bunch of shitty people that are looking for power. And so, yeah, you usurped the old power dynamic, the old power structure. But that doesn't mean that our savior is finally here. Yeah. I agree completely. And I've always said people like Clinton and Putin have more in common than you and I do with Clinton. Yeah. They're playing a whole different game. I mean, they live in a different world where 
when you've got that level of money and influence, you're in a bubble. You're in a bubble of a bubble of a bubble. You know, like you're so well insulated from reality if you don't want to see it that you can live in your own little kind of world. And I think we're seeing that a lot more. And when you have that much money, you know, people are jumping to do what you say because they might get a piece of that. And that's where a lot of this power comes from. Mm-hmm. And I was going to start asking you about Freemasonry, but that jogged in my memory something about Kate Spade. After she died, they released a piece about Kate Spade's apartment. Like, look at how well decorated it was, because, you know, she's a fashion icon. And the picture is of her kitchen, which has a black and white checkerboard floor. And then it also has a black and white checkered tablecloth. And it's like, is this just a design element? Potentially. But it's also potentially a signal that she is a Mason. Her company was bought early for $33 million. It did have some interesting symbols at its founding. Yeah. (laughs) Just another log for the fire, man, but probably worth mentioning. Interesting thing I forgot to mention, too, about the Dutch Queen's sister. She died at the age of 33 as well. Probably just a coincidence, but there's a lot of 33s. Mm which is definitely a Freemason number because that's the top rank of Freemasonry. Right. And we also wanted to point out that as big Reddit users, you in particular, we have seen these signs that the site is compromised and really isn't the free form of ideas that it was a few years ago. And you have been working on an alternative. Talk to us about this a little bit before we call it in. Yeah, so I've been developing setit.net. You guys should check it out. It's based on the Reddit 2015 open source code, which is the last year they released the open source for Reddit before they made it closed source. And I've been a longtime user of Reddit. I've been on there since 2007, I would say. So I've been on there like 11 years. And it's been interesting to see the change. I mean, the last three, four years, especially with the 2016 election, there was kind of organic Bernie Sanders support on the website. And then There was this one day, a lot of people remember it, it was like a switch flipped. And the whole site became super pro-Hillary, just like overnight. And it eventually came to light that there's a messaging company called ShareBlue that worked as a propaganda arm or an advertising arm for the Clinton campaign. And they had huge targeted online campaigns, as did Trump through Cambridge Analytica. And I have a video about propaganda on my Magnora 7 channel on YouTube about this. But yeah, it's a problem. And then Reddit is divided in a way where, you know, there's each subreddit is its own kind of little zone and it's got its own moderators. And what has happened over the last five years is the moderators of all the biggest subs have slowly become compromised because the politics sub, for example, might be viewed by literally 10 or 100 million people. And so, you know, that's as big as any TV channel. Mm-hmm. So if you're the moderator of just that subreddit, not even of all of Reddit, but just that subreddit, you can control the narrative like that. And so it's kind of been this gradual takeover of subreddit after subreddit, and they get themselves into positions where they can be moderators. And then I guess the admins of Reddit have turned a blind eye to this because it's quite obvious if you actually try and compile evidence for it. But you bring it to the Reddit admins and they're more likely to ban you for bringing it up than actually go after the problem. And I've had this happen personally several times and I've heard other people who've had the same happen to them. And then you get banned from all these different subreddits too for saying the wrong thing. Like, you know, in the politics subreddit, you got a little worked up for a second and said something and then you're banned forever. 
there's certain opinions that just aren't allowed on certain subreddits and it just creates these echo chambers and it's just become very polarized kind of echo chamber situation and you can't say anything against the echo chamber in the sub you're in you know so it kills all reasonable conversation because there's no middle ground and that's the real problem and the reddit admins have kind of turned a blind eye to this so i've been seeing this coming down the road like dig.com kind of fell apart i just knew it was time we had to set up a reddit alternative and there's vote.co is another alternative but it got taken over by the people who got kicked out of reddit which ended up being a lot of very right-wing racist people, basically. And so there was a collection of these types of people on vote, and that ended up determining its culture of the site. And so we hope to avoid a similar fate at Sedit. So it's a very uh, debate-focused website, and the moderation is just based on basically the amount of respect you pay the other person as opposed to what opinion you have or whatever. On Sedit, you can have any opinion you want as long as you respect the other person when you express it. And that's basically all there is to it. And I think that way we can have all sides of a lot of different debates, but it not descend into, you know, trolling and anger and vote manipulation and stuff. That's another thing with Sedit is also instead of the upvote downvote system like there is on Reddit, we have a insightful and funny voting system. So you can vote something as insightful or as funny or as both. And because there's no downvote, you don't get brigades of people working together to try and control comment sections because they can't undo people's votes. You know, you can undo a, an upvote with a downvote. So they can basically shape whatever they want, however they like. Mm. But if you've got two separate types of upvotes, the only thing you can do if you don't like it is ignore it. Smart. Yeah. So you say this is good or you can ignore it. So that's kind of the way of the site. So we hope this will cut down on trolling and cut down on the problems that have become so rampant on Reddit. It's been exciting. We've seen some exciting growth and we've got 1600 usernames signed up now. And according to Alexa rank, we're 260,000th in the world by traffic, which is a fairly decent ranking so far. So, yeah. and we're always adding new features. We just added like image and video expando. So you can view the videos and images in line as you're scrolling, which is a feature that uh, Vote and Reddit have had. So we're kind of joining them with that. We've also got unique features like we put IRC chat, like a live chat in every single sub. So you can go to any sub and it's got a live chat dedicated for it, which is kind of cool. So we're hoping little communities can develop not just around the posts, but also around the chatting, which gives it more life and different ways to communicate with people. So. Very awesome. I think that's great. And give the URL, spell the URL out for people real quick. Yeah, sure. It's uh, saidit.net. So it's like he said, she said. So S-A-I-D-I-T dot net. Cool. That's great. Man, and I've struggled with mainstream platforms a bit myself. I got almost a full month time out from YouTube where I couldn't post any shows or communicate to the subscribers there. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. I really wanted to quit YouTube, but DTube and BitChute and all these supposed alternatives, they barely even work. You know, I'm not watching an hour-long video on DTube. It doesn't work. Yeah. It's annoying. There's this, this alternative, HookTube. Have you ever heard of it? It's like a backup system for YouTube. You can archive any video, basically. But they had to shut down the other day. They've been operating for like three or four years, and they just two days ago had to shut down because YouTube changed their APIs. So you can't interact with YouTube through APIs the same way as you could. And that broke the whole HookTube service. Uh, 
I think building a video alternative is very hard, but luckily building a Reddit alternative is not quite as bad. And <laughs> so and we've got this thing streamlined. I mean, it's streamlined for fastness, but also streamlined for cost effectiveness. So, I mean, it's very low expenditures for us to keep this thing going. So we plan to be able to run it for years or decades to come. So mm. we look forward to seeing the community grow as it has and, and to keep adding new features and, you know, Hopefully someday we'll grow to the size of Vote or maybe even Reddit. That would be crazy. I really wish you luck on that. It's just so frustrating, too, because people seem to only want to huddle around these massive corporate platforms. It's just really annoying. And that's what got me to end up going back to YouTube, posting shows there. Right. But it's like people say they want freedom, but the data shows they pretty much only get on the <laughs> Internet to check Facebook, Google, Amazon or porn. And the right. data doesn't lie. So, right. you know, what are you going to do? With sites like Reddit, you have a critical mass problem, too, because the more users are on the site, the more fun the site is to use because there's more people to interact with. Yes. And everyone is on Reddit just because everyone is on Reddit. You know, <laughs> like it's like a loop. It's a self problem. I think the only way it's going to change is Reddit has been working on this redesign and do you remember dig.com? Did you yeah. ever use that? Yeah. yeah. So do you remember the dig.com redesign? <laughs> do you remember that, that? Basically broke dig. No one wanted to go there anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So they've been kind of like slipping in advertiser things as if they were articles and people were getting pissed off. And then they basically did this huge redesign that changed the whole site and you couldn't opt out or anything. And it was to hide advertising content even better as if it were user posted content. So basically it was just all like for advertiser grab for money, you know, and Reddit is undoubtedly doing the exact same thing here. So they're redesigned, they're putting a lot more thought into it, and they're allowing people to opt out. But it's going to get to a point where they're not going to support the old version anymore. And they're going to force the redesign. And it's going to piss literally millions of people off, just like Dig. But I think they're going to do it because they view it as a financially intelligent move. You know, I think they think they're going to get all this extra advertising revenue, and they've got a captive audience. And all this stuff. So I think that's kind of where their head is at. But when that happens and they screw everyone over, just like Dig screwed over a bunch of people, you know, said it will be there. So said it will be waiting with open arms <laughs> to accept the refugees from Reddit. So <laughs> for sure. Well, dude, again, great stuff. Really awesome research. You definitely, you know, you're definitely aggressive with the research and, but also really even handed and fair to the middle ground. So Thanks. I don't think it suffers from this whole, you know, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail thing. <laughs> right. You know, a lot of times I interview researchers where they just run off with a few bits of data and make some pretty out there conclusions, but right. you seem even handed and that's important. And to me, those are my favorite shows to do. So I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. I feel the same way about you as an interviewer. I feel like you ask very interesting questions and you always let the interviewee say, their piece of the story and their angle, even if it doesn't totally stand up to scrutiny. So you let the viewer decide. I really like that. And I think that's something that's missing from a lot of media. Well, cheers to that. And man, you know, I've kept you a little bit over the allotted time, so I should probably let you get on with your day. But again, great job. Really appreciate you coming on. Any other parting words for the people? No, you know, just keep looking into these things. I think it's important. These things are emotionally exhausting, but I think that is the reason they assume you won't look into them. If you can kind of overcome that and and then, you know, learn how to take the steam off by watching funny things. Like I like late night shows, so I'll do like four hours of research and this really heavy stuff and then I'll 
watch some late night shows to unwind. Don't be afraid to look into stuff, even if it seems scary. I think that's what I would say to people. The reason people don't look into things sometimes is because they're emotions. And I think that's important to overcome. Well said. Right on, man. Magnora 7. (laughs) Another great show in the can. Until next time, keep it up and take care. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You got it. Mm -mm -mm. Hell of a show, people. Hell of a show. The triumphant return of Magnora 7. Good man. Good topic. I do think there's something fishy about these deaths, and I want to be able to talk about it without going full QAnon. And so I think we accomplished that today. We covered quite a few details, and a lot of it is speculative, but I don't think we stretched too hard. Maybe I'm just prone to thinking conspiratorially I might be biased. But that's why you come here. This show gets you a lot of alternative opinions on many different things, but a major fucking artery on this beast is the conspiratorial view. Always will be. So this is probably the strongest case we could make for conspiracy in an hour. And it was funny because Mag thought this information might be kind of dated when we booked the show, and then of course it takes some time after that to even release, and I hope people are still interested because it just seems like yesterday to me. But also in the time just since this show is being edited, we had other big celebrity dust-ups related to pedophilia. One was James Gunn, the director of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, where I guess the story would be that he criticized Trump publicly, so Fox News put some dogs on him to comb through and find some dirt. He's some ultra-Hollywood liberal, so there must be something to find, right? Well, sure enough, there is, and it makes you wonder how many isolated incidents you need to make a pattern. And in this situation, you can go ahead and say that they are years old, but he tweeted some pretty raw stuff involving kid fucking. He says, in the name of humor and just being provocative, but it's shit that definitely would get any one of us fired from any job, and I'll be the first to defend humor. There can't really be any lines with humor, because when you make a line, then the move is just to go past it. But when it comes to language and comedy and outrageous statements, it is what it is, but someone who gets caught saying way too many pedo things can also use, oh, I was just joking, as their first excuse. Just like people make excuses for Podesta's art. But just so we all know the types of things he was tweeting, he was saying things like, I like when little boys touch me in my silly place. Eagle Snatches Kid is what I call it when I get lucky. The Expendables movie was so manly that I fucked the little pussy boy next to me. I'm watching Trapped in the Closet, R. Kelly's second best video after the one where he urinates on a child. I mean, these things are pretty raw. He's also one of Disney's biggest directors, etc., etc., but it's obviously not conclusive of crime. But I'm giving this context because what I actually found interesting was that a few days later, there was a petition going around. Who knows how many signatures it actually had or what's even real, but there was a story going around that talked about tens of thousands of signatures on a petition to get James Gunn rehired to complete the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy. And it just gave me some pause because we have so many guests talk about the subtle movement to normalize pedophilia, something I've always just found way too ridiculous to actually happen. 
But then that's sort of what this story is. Just think about the general zeitgeist and the people just getting the mainstream story. They read James Gunn is fired because of a lot of pedo tweets. Then they read that tens of thousands of people want him to get his job back, basically saying, look, we don't care about abusing children or joking about it to the point of obsession and suspicion. We don't care about any of that. We just want consistency in this movie trilogy. Isn't that a little weird? Strange priorities, I guess. I mean, I like those movies too, but I think someone else can handle it. And uh, I just thought that thread was related and worth mentioning. As is the thing with Dan Harmon. If you don't know him, he's the creator of the show Community, which I didn't care for, and Rick and Morty, which I sort of love. His career is completely on easy street, but he decided to release a skit where he says he's doing a pilot for Showtime for a new show called Daryl. It's a parody of Dexter, where he doesn't kill his victims, he just fucks their babies. And he does it in the skit. He drops his pants, shows his bare ass, and puts his dick in the face of a plastic baby doll several times. And maybe it is just raw humor, but this guy is like 35, 40. We are not in high school snickering at shock jock humor. Again, it's not a crime, but it just seems very unwise. And now he's deleted his Twitter and he's doing a bunch of damage control. And it's just like, dude, it does not look good to have some exploding Hollywood career and then release something like this as if it's okay. And we have to go over these things from a conspiratorial perspective because we know the proper investigations aren't ever being done. That is the thing. Tweets and actual crimes are worlds apart. And if we lived in a reality where we had a fair, noble, vigilant law enforcement system protecting children, then these sorts of things wouldn't be as suspicious as they are in a reality where we know nothing's being done. So here we are, combing over all these things ourselves. Sometimes a joke is just a joke. But sometimes, if it's constant and obsessive, it could also be gloating. Because again, they probably can't believe it themselves that it's just a free-for-all in Hollywood and DC. But in terms of the actual content of today's show, I did want to play Asia's speech from the Cannes Film Festival, at least in part. Here's a clip, and you tell me if this is worth considering after Anthony Bourdain's death just a week later. I have a few words to say. In 1997, I was raped by Harvey Weinstein here at Cannes. I was 21 years old. This festival was his hunting ground. I want to make a prediction. Harvey Weinstein will never be welcomed here ever again. He will live in disgrace, shunned by a film community that once embraced him and covered up for his crimes. And even tonight, sitting among you, there are those who still have to be held accountable for their conduct against women, for a behavior that does not belong in this industry, does not belong in any industry or workplace. You know who you are, but most importantly, we know who you are, and we're not going to allow you to get away with it any longer. So there you go. There's that. 
Nothing vague about it. I think it's important, but who knows? I will say I really do appreciate the work Magnora 7 did to prepare for this episode. Not only in the first hour, but then we went in a completely different direction the second hour. That was more of a continuation of the Rothschild Rockefeller Diamond and Oil Resource Rape of Africa that we covered last time. And we went country by country, adding a lot more to the list. And I'm serious when I say that this should be the book he writes, and it should be called The Resource Curse or The Resource Rape, but that might be too aggressive. Regardless, if you liked that first show we did a few months back, maybe even more than that, time flies. But in the second hour, we did follow up with more countries like Angola, Nigeria, Algeria, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and a few others. So sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com if you want to hear the things that nobody's talking about. Eh. We also got into Freemasonry a bit too, and Zionism. And I get a lot of flack for not covering Zionism enough, but if you've been into this type of stuff for more than a few years, you probably don't need to be reminded about Zionists very much. Anyway, there it is, the case for something rotten in Denmark when it comes to this suicide string. Oh, suicide string. That's all right. I think I'm going to use that in the title. But with that said, we have the last $5 plus show of the Higher Side Chats. Bit of a milestone for me. August 1st is the infamous price increase. I hope I've built up enough goodwill over time that you trust me when I say that this is kind of just what I have to do. But I think it's going to enable us to have a better show, a better infrastructure, and maybe expand into some other things. I don't know. No promises, because i got to wait and see where the dust settles after this change. I've had some people write me that are very unhappy, saying that they can't afford the price increase. And to me, it's hard to find things that over the past four or more years have not increased in price. It's still cheaper than a movie ticket. It's still around the cost of a beer. And four years ago, had I just started at $8 instead of 5 you wouldn't even know the difference. So I would say... Consider it a deal that you've gotten the last four years for the bottom barrel price. And now we're coming up to the level that most of my colleagues are at. And I know I've repeatedly said that Plus members won't have to do anything during this transition, and that's pretty much true, unless you subscribe via Patreon. See, when I control the system, I can do what I need to, but Patreon is a third party. They got their own rules. They don't allow you to change your prices. So there's now an $8 tier on Patreon, and new shows will just be posted for people of that tier. So you will have to click on the box to up your subscription, but I will handle that with the small number of Patreon subscriptions we actually have. But it's a big, stressful moment for me, and a lot of you guys have been really super, super cool about it. I appreciate it. I know I bitch and moan about critics and haters and trolls in a lot of the wrap-up portions. And I'm really going to change that going forward. I don't think we need to apologize for being curious and exploring weird perspectives. The culture has changed, though. A lot of conspiratorial threads have gotten more polarized, more political, and more extreme than when I started. And I try to navigate that, still keep an open mind, and leave no conspiracy behind completely. But a lot of listeners do want a show that plants its flag on one perspective and stays there. 
And I just can't do that. And I hope the majority of people see that as a feature, not a bug. And I'll keep charging ahead. Thanks for listening. I've done my part. Your move, doorknob assassins, nefarious network protectors, and celebrity silencers. Your fucking move. I won't take it. No, I refuse. If it's all right, I'll keep my refuge. I've been scheming of bigger things and have to leave my old life behind. Gotta transfer to the inner earth. I built a box, built a hole, got a neat elevator going under. And now you'll find me in the bunker. You'll find me in the bunker, 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 take it under.